Someone will be coming to church as you are leaving, so don't judge them. Um, just give them a wink, and uh, they'll make it. Um, but it's so good to worship with you all today, and I'm so glad you are at church. Um, and the world around us seems to be such a, a chaotic place these days, and uh, uh, the hysteria that's going on, and the people that are freaking out and panicking, and um, buying toilet paper and not drinking Corona beer, whatever it is that they're doing. The world is going crazy. And we've gathered here uh, in the midst of all of this to worship God and to just still our hearts a little bit. Today we look at this passage, and um, uh, it's a passage that is very comforting. It's a passage that the reformer Martin Luther said of this and I quote, this is the best and most comforting sermon that the Lord Christ delivered on earth, a treasure and a jewel not to be purchased with the world's goods. This is the best. This is the most comforting. Martin Luther, as he was going through the turmoils, risking his own neck as he was fighting for the Reformation movement, um, he says it. And I think as we come here, um, maybe this would comfort us today. This is a passage often you hear um, at a funeral service, somehow to comfort the people. Um, but really, it's for the living. It's for those who are trying to live the Christian life. You know, in chapter 13, uh, you heard last week from uh, uh, what was happening was the Jesus had announced that the hour had come that he was departing. And these young men, late teenagers, early 20s, are all starting to panic. The feelings that they might have are probably the feelings that many of us carry today. Uncertainty, what's going to happen? Where am I going to get my next meal? Where am I gonna, what am I going to do? They left everything to follow Jesus. And these short three years had gone by, and now they're saying, you're going to leave us? We followed you with everything. You're going to leave us? What are we going to do? And there is a panic setting in. And it's right in the midst of that. This is, remember, the last week of the life of Jesus. He now says this comforting, these comforting words that we need to hear. And I wonder if we uh, need to hear this as well. Uh, this passage has, uh, we're going to do two things today. Uh, number one is we're going to be looking at the command that's given. A comforting command in verse 1. But also, Jesus gives us the reasons why we can live in this way. Right? So the, here's the command, here is why, three reasons why. And so we're going to do two parts today as you are following along. Here's the commands, and I love the commands in verse 1. There's a two-part command here. Let not your hearts be troubled, period. Can I ask you, could you say that out loud with me one time as you are almost saying it to yourself and saying it to your neighbor? One, two, three, let not your hearts be troubled. You have control over this. It's interesting because the, in the original language, it's saying that it's continual. Don't live with heart trouble in this way. Don't live life always worrying about what tomorrow holds, what it'll be like. Let not your hearts be troubled. Make this your lifestyle. What a thought that is. Stop being troubled. It's interesting. It's in the imperative. 
It would be bolded or underlined if, if, if we would have had the Bible written in this way. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, this word troubled here, it means to stir up. There's turmoil in the heart. There's an absence of peace. The same word is used in John 5, 7 when they talk about literally water that's stirred up. People would go into the water. It would be like a jacuzzi today. Some of you might have a jacuzzi at home or in your complex or whatnot, but you have to turn it on, right? And it agitates the water, and you go into it. You don't go into it when you don't turn it on, right? That's the picture you have. So it is water, it is your heart, it's now like uh, uh, the ocean during a storm. And he says, hey, don't let it be troubled in that way. Let not your hearts be troubled. It's interesting that the single most mentioned command in all of the Bible is the word that God says to us, fear not. Yesterday, at our Brea Church, we had a prayer meeting, and there were uh, specific prayers, prayer requests that were brought up um, in the campus. Pastor Sam was going over that, and we were praying. I had multiple people whose parents are um, maybe at their kind of the last stages of life and fighting disease and hardships. They're praying for that. We had someone who's struggling with the uncertainty of their job security, with all this coronavirus fear and. The, their work is losing money, and they're doing layoffs. And she said, I don't know what mon- Monday looks like, and we were praying with her. But even in the midst of it, he says to fear not. I think of the famous words that Roosevelt said in his inaugural speech. He says, we had nothing to fear except fear itself. He said it to a country when it was going through a depression and hardships. But I think really we as the people of God have nothing to fear except fear itself. And he tells us not to fear. Often it is fear that keeps us from enjoying the things God has given to us. Uh, personally, uh, first day of kindergarten. You remember that, right? And some of you parents, you remember that. Some of you, you're, it's coming up and this is now stressing you out, those of you on the sofas, it's going to come up, and you got to find the right school, the right teacher, avoid all the dirty bad kids in all of Irvine or Tustin, wherever you live, right? I remember when we took Carissa for the first day of kindergarten, and it was our first child. It was the first time she's going into the real world, the public school system, you know, here in, uh, in, you know, in Orange County, oh my gosh, and she's going to go in with all these Savage kids who are going to be there. What's she going to do? What's going to happen? I remember um, having this, we had this tense moment. I kept telling her, don't worry, don't worry. And she was weepy-eyed as we kind of pushed her in. And then I was, I didn't really, in hindsight, I was a bad rookie dad. I was looking through the window. I was watching like for about 30 minutes. Is she going to survive? You know, of course she's going to survive. And before you know, it's 11.30. Oh, my gosh, we have to go pick her. You know, it was like three hours, right? We got to pick her up. You go in thinking it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We as Christians come to God, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. It's going to be okay. Don't let your hearts be troubled. The second of the commands, he says, is believe in me. Uh, believe in God. Believe also in me. It's kind of interesting. He when he becomes the object of their belief, of our, of our belief. 
So the disciples saying, he said, you believe in God and you think he's high and mighty, God the Father. Remember who you are believing me. He equates himself again. And so he is saying the object of your faith or your belief is great. Same level as God. Believe in me. Um, the word believe could be translated trust. So often we might say to a little one, believe me, it's going to be, kindergarten's going to be fine. I'll be here at 11.45 when it gets out. And believe me, it'll be okay. It's like saying, trust me. Trust me on this. And he tells these young disciples who are sitting there going, what are we going to do? How are we going to get by? He says, believe me on this. Trust me on this. Um, it's interesting. The commentators get very technical on this little phrase, believe in God, believe also in me. It could be translated in two ways, and I think they're both correct. Now, one is called imperative, one is indicative. What that means is in our language, layman's language, it's one, it could be translated as a command. Jesus is saying, believe in God. He's telling the disciples, believe in God. What are you so afraid of? Believe in God. And he almost rebukes them for their lack of belief. And there is that, and I think that's true. But the indicative is, uh, it's a basic statement. Like, why is your heart in turmoil? You're, you're Christians, you're believers of God. And I think that is true as well. And so in our day and age, when everyone is panicking, or people at wherever you are at, and your counterparts are there, they might respond a certain way. But he's saying, you're believers of God. You believe in God. You believe in Christ. You act different. Your identity is different. Believe. I remember taking my kids. Um, there's a swimming pool, a public swimming pool in Brea where they're supposedly very good at teaching little kids how to swim, right? And so we would take them there. And it was one of those things where everyone was going. So people were now camping out overnight to sign their kids up for their summer program. Um, and I remember we signed our daughters up. And one of the classes they have is they have kids who are, I think, they're still in diapers. And they have them now learn how to swim. So they take them, kids in diapers who could barely walk, and they, okay, and they just, boop, they just drop them into the water, right? And the kids just go in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like watching. And these, the, the ones, the one, two-year-olds are just jumping in. And for them to know, they're swimming. And I'm going, why are they teaching them how to swim? Like, who's got, are they going to go swim by themselves? You know, anyways, but the, that's a whole nother. But they throw them in. But there's the advanced class, the older kids class, the 11-year-old, 12-year-old. They know something. And there was always one each time I would take my kids. They went every summer. There's one holding on for dear life because they're going to die. They're screaming, no. Oh, right, and, and their parents are embarrassed, you know, it's not my kid, and, you know, and, and they're like, go jump in, it's going to be fine, and the instructor has to help them, and they're screaming, no, because they know a little bit. You are believers, you don't behave like the world. You don't respond like the world. Your heart is not shaken up like the world. Um, this madness is happening today, this hysteria of this virus and people now uh, in a state of panic. Everywhere you turn, they keep talking about it, so it affects all of us. It's, uh, in history, things have happened like this before. Um, the feeling I get is I remember when Y2K was going to happen. Some of you remember that. They say at, at year 2000, all our computers are going to shut down. All the electricity is going to go off. 
you're going to starve to death, right? It's all going to happen at Y2K. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I better buy a few extra cans of Spam or something. Y2K is going to happen. Did anything happen? No, not really. Uh, in the 19th century in England, um, thousands were suffering and dying from uh, cholera. And it was spreading in England. And obviously the medicine back then was not like how it is today. And the story goes of Charles Spurgeon, the pastor, and the faithful leaders of his church. They didn't flee. They went into the place. They were the ones to go in and actually care for people and comfort them. You'll be okay and give them food and bring them medicine. They didn't run away. And I read an article today about the Christians in Wuhan to meet publicly. They're coming out publicly They're helping now the medical workers, and they are now bringing them food and caring for all the medical workers because they're overwhelmed. They're visiting people who are really sick. There was one story that they're out there passing out masks and sharing the gospel. This is what the church does. And I'm not saying we ought to be reckless and just live dangerous and not think, and your warning lights are all popping up as you're hearing some of this, oh, but, 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 but. I'm saying that we are Christians. We respond differently to stress. And this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. You believe in God. Let's remember that. And the next time you catch your heart starting to now waver, hey, Steve, hey, you believe in God. Remember that? You're a Christian. Let not your hearts be troubled. These are the commands he gives to us. And I love this because in the rest of 14, he gives God the Father. And there's three reasons I want to highlight. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They all are there so that we can now no longer fear. We can believe. Father, Son, Spirit. This is just a little plug in our equip classes and the things that we do. Correct theology of God is so important because it helps us to now know God and to understand our lives in a correct way. Right? And so I encourage you to sit through and take and learn um, from theologians and pastors that have studied these things. But anyways, reason number one is Heavenly Father has set our future. It's already done. The ultimate future is already taken care of. In verse 2 it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus points to the Father. The father meant home for the people. The prodigal son comes running, and who comes running out? It was the acceptance of the father. It wasn't the location that mattered. It wasn't the city or the property. It was being accepted by my father. And in John 13 through 17, the father is referenced 53 times in this short passage. The father, the father, the father. And he says, in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, we've heard this before, and somehow we could picture it in our Western mindset. Oh my gosh, this must be like a resort, right? This must be like the Ritz-Carlton or something. Oh, it must be nice. So is heaven like I get there and I give them my ID and they say, okay, here's your room. Do I get an upgrade? I'm pastor. No, no upgrade. Hey, you know, no view. Can I get a view? No, no, just parking lot view. Go. Smoking room? You know, no, no, no smoking room in heaven, right? And um, no, it's the picture is back in the days of Jesus when a son would go out and get married, the father would add now a wing or a room to their existing house often. 
And so this was cultural. So it wasn't like you get married and live as your own unit. You're part of the extended family. You're one family. And so the father would add the room as the son would now come back with the wife and they would all live together. And we see this even in cultures today. And so the picture, what we're getting here is you're part of the father's household. And he's got a lot of sons and daughters. It's a big family. It's not that we are all individualized in our hotel rooms at a resort. We're at the father's house. And there are rooms are added on and wings are added on. And he goes, I'm going to go get that ready for you. It's the idea of arrival. It's the idea of home that we are there. I read an article called The Definition of Home in the Smithsonian Magazine. And the author describes home, that it could be ever so humble, but it's more than a place, it's an idea, it's where the heart is. And the author, she closes by talking about her late father and them going to her father's house after he had passed away. And I just want to quote just a little ending here of this. He says, when my father died, my brothers and sisters and I went back to his house where he'd lived alone. It wasn't only his absence we felt, it was as though something had vanished from every object in the house. They had, in fact, become merely objects. The people whose heart and mind could bind them into a single thing, a home, had gone. He said the, the Father represented home. And here, this is what the Father represents. So God the Father, who we want to please and want to be accepted by, there's a home, there's a future. So God the Father is involved. God the Son is involved because he is now our access in. He does something in the past. So we have the future and then we have the past. In a few days after John 14 is written, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay. So for us, it's the past. For the disciples, it's coming up in a few days. John 14, 6 Probably the most famous I am statement by Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except I'm going to get to the Father. How will I be accepted? It's through Christ, he says. And he does this by paying for our sins on the cross. It's interesting. One of the, um, uh, recently I saw a video. and I, uh, One of them is the president of the Football Hall of Fame going to these retired football players and coaches and inviting them, saying, you have made it into the Hall of Fame. And it's one of these moments, right? And uh, I saw, I memorized a speech, because I was looking at it, I was watching it. I saw one guy who was upset, he didn't get invited. But uh, anyways, he's going. So he goes and he knocks on the door. David Baker, his ex-football player, big man, he's wearing a colorful blazer. And he goes in, as soon as they open the door, these guys start breaking down in tears. These are... In our culture, manly men, right? These are football players. They've broken bones and torn ligaments, and they still played. They're the toughest and strongest. And David Baker, president of the Football Hall of Fame. And this whole speech, I, by the end, I kind of memorized it, right? Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you will do for football. And your legacy will live on forever in Canton, Ohio. And these guys are in tears and their families to see that. These are ticket in. Here is David Baker now saying, here's your ticket in, and we're going to have a, a statue, a bust of you in Canton, Ohio, forever. Jesus Christ comes far better than Canton, Ohio, right? Who wants to go to Canton, Ohio? Not I. 
He says, you'll be at my father's house. And it will be because of the work that he has accomplished on our behalf. And he called, and that is what's done in the past. And we see God the Holy Spirit, lastly, working on our behalf as he guides us every day. And all of our headstones, tombstones, there'll be a dash. Our birth, our death, the dash. He is there. He is there in the dash of our lives. Later on in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The helper will come. The helper. Some of our translations call him the comforter or the helper. It's a word that means someone that comes alongside of, of with you. He's your partner. He walks alongside of you. It's a coach. It's a cheerleader. It's the lawyer that stands up on your behalf to represent you before the judge. He comes alongside and we get the word comfort in English. Two Latin words to put together with strength. If he comes, I have strength. I'm with my strength. Comfort. And he comes through the words. He will teach you. He will bring to remembrance all the words I have said to you. He will bring to remembrance the words that we have now we have before us. He'll bring to remembrance. For the disciples it meant a supernatural inspiration. They were able to write these words of the New Testament. For us it means it's a regular occurrence where we run back to the word. I've been preaching sermons, right? 25 years. I go back to them often, and to be honest, many passages I've preached on before, I go back to it and I'm moved again. I'm like, oh my gosh. Many of you have read through the Gospel of John, and again, this time it's becoming new again. Some of you have memorized John 14, 6, and it's becoming new to you again. It's comforting you. God, the Holy Spirit, comforts you. Not in some obscure, mysterious way. He comforts you through the Word. He reminds you of the Word. You know, I, these Sundays we preach, and we'll talk about it during our, our meetings or back at the office of the pastors. How did it go? I'll talk about it with my wife, who gives me, you know, the truth, right? She says, this is how it actually went, right? And so she's encouraging. My wife's encouraging. Oh, you did a good job. That was good. And you did this. But you always talk about the same stories. I said, well, what do you expect? That, that's my life, right? That's uh, what I live yeah, I just go, stop talking about you working at Del Taco and stop talking about our dog. I, that's all I have. That's all I have. Anyway, so um, she's gracious in that way. There are weeks, and I'll be honest, I go, wow, today was good. Music was good. People liked my jokes. There are some weeks. I preach at Brea, no one likes it. And I come to Irvine, everyone likes it. And I said, ah, oh, my heart is here, right? <laughs> this is my heart. I love these people, right? Um, there are some weeks I say, boy, this was so unclear. I don't even understand what I was saying, right? I don't even understand what I was saying. And I sit in my community group, and now I, the leader has to go through that. I said, oh, and I say, hey, even I don't remember what I said. It's been rough. But there's been so many times someone will come up to me after one of those times and say, oh, that was really good. It wasn't because the pre presentation was so fine or the jokes were so clever, 
but it was because somehow the word was referred to. And the word, God the Holy Spirit spoke using the words through a weak vessel, but the words are coming into our heart and we say, oh, it's warming up my heart. It's changing who I am. It's giving me strength. I, I'm changing the way I live. And we hear it regularly and he comforts us through the word. And he closes, and I close with this. These words from Christ in verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He gives us peace. A peace that is different than the world. The Greek version of the Hebrew, shalom. The absence, not just the absence of conflict and peace, but the abundance of blessing on our lives. Only he gives it to us. So let me encourage you today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and know what he'll do. Father, Son, Spirit, who is in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the simple words that you tell us. The most comforting, as Martin Luther had said, comforts us. Lord, many of us, if I could say all of us, God, We're all going through this. And um, Lord, even in general, in, our, in the public, in the world, there's a sense of unease, and yet we as your people come in and we find peace, shalom. It's going to be okay because we are believers. It's going to be okay because the one we believe, Jesus Christ, is God himself. It's going to be okay. So Lord, we, our waters are calm. They're serene. Our hearts have settled down. So we thank you for that. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.